Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. What's up, It's Here comes a lightning bolt. Charger fans are witnesses to history. This is the Lightning Round Podcast with your hosts, Garrett Sisti and Jamie Hoyle. Go Chargers, go! That's six in a row for the Chargers, and they are about as hot as this very lightning round podcast. I am at Garrett Sisti on Twitter. Jamie is tweeting at lightning underscore round, and we'll talk about this victory in Oakland. But there are three donations we want to recognize right now. So we had three donations this week, like Garrett mentioned. They came from Jack Thompson, Evan Airy, and Alvin Tunsil. So Jack, Evan, and Alvin, thank you all very much for your de- generous donations to the Beer Fund. And like we always say, we appreciate everybody who listens, everybody who supports us, whether it's through donations, whether it's through um, you know communicating with us through social media or the app, or if it's just rating us on iTunes. They all keep us going. So thank you very much. Yep, appreciate it, Jack, Evan, and Alvin. You are our three favorite people this week. We appreciate you. So uh, we got a lot of questions this week. Um, we got two callers that we're going to take today. And uh, just to let everybody know, for any questions that don't get on the show, feel free to send them in again. Sometimes questions double up. 
Sometimes we don't have time for them. Sometimes the timing just doesn't work out. So uh, thank you for your calls this week. Uh, we have two before we get in the storylines, and our first one is from Jeff. Hey, this is Jeff up in Reading. Uh, before I get any farther, whatever happened to Liam? I miss that every week. Um, but, okay, so into my question. This is oddly specific. Um, it was, I think, the early fourth quarter, and there was an offsides on the Raiders pre-play the play, it was like a third down, um, went for a first down, I believe. And then after the play, there was a personal foul on Russell Okung. And Ed Hockley's dumbass son decides to tell us that by rule, we have to decline the penalty and the personal foul is enforced. How does that work when the offsides happens before the play? I've never heard of anything like that. Can you shine some light on it? Thanks, and go Bolts. Well, first of all, Jeff, thank you very much for... Um calling in we appreciate the message and i'd like to know what happened to liam too i i I enjoyed those calls during the bad times and i think we'd enjoy them even more during the good times so liam if you're there and you're listening call in any time buddy yeah he has called once this year we've heard Mm -hmm. from him once and two or three weeks ago he called after we had recorded the show so we weren't able to get him on that week but yeah liam call in call in more often we'd love to hear from you so with regard to okung's personal foul I was wondering the same thing watching the show live, so I went ahead and looked up the rule. And the rule is Rule 14, Section 3, Article 1. It's what's known as the major foul exception. And that rule states that if you have two offsetting penalties, one of the 5-yard variety and one of the 15-yard variety, which is a personal foul, uh, you enforce the 15-yard penalty from the spot of the foul regardless of whether or not the dead ball, the five-yard foul was a dead ball foul. So in this case, even though it was technically a dead ball foul because the defense jumped off sides, Okung punched a player, got himself ejected from the game, and they enforced that penalty because it was the major penalty of the two. If, they, if one had been a 10-yard and one had been a 15-yard, they would not have enforced either. But because one was a 15 and one was a 5, they enforced, they enforced the 15. There you go. Jamie has the day off. He's reading the rule book. So there's your answer, Jeff. He he had some extra time to do some homework. Uh, <laughs> this next question is from Craig. Hey, fellas, it's Craig in Austin. Thanks for everything you do. Um, definitely, as always, look forward to the show every week, man. Uh, hear what you guys have to say. It's always entertaining and uh, pretty much on point. But with that said, man, 7-2 and two feels good. Um, not necessarily drinking the Kool-Aid just yet. Just interested to see what happens in the next three games. Definitely not looking past the Broncos and the Cardinals, but, you know, a trip out to Pittsburgh to see what these guys are made of. If they can come back at 10 and 2, then, you know, I'll be the front, uh, at the front of the train, man, leading the cheers for a possible Super Bowl run. Um, also with the news dropping of Perriman going down with the ACL tear for the rest of the season, you guys think this is the end of his run as a starting middle linebacker. Um, you know, he's never really fit the uh, Gus Bradley scheme, his cover three scheme, kind of requires more of a middle linebacker who can flow sideline to sideline and uh, defend the middle of the field in the seams. So just kind of wondering what you guys think will happen going forward with Perriman and uh, just kind of also your outlook for the next three weeks and where you guys think the team will be, uh, you know, post that Pittsburgh game. Uh, as always, thanks for everything you fellas do, man, and bolt up. So we got you, and I think the most important question here, Craig, is Denzel Perryman. Uh, we learned today that 
Denzel Perryman is out for the year. Chargers lose their middle linebacker. And to answer your first question, if Denzel Perryman will be back with the Chargers, or if we think, well, first we'll answer that, and then we'll talk about Denzel Perryman. Um, personally, I think the Chargers end up keeping Denzel Perryman. I think they end up re-signing him. I know he hasn't played a full season yet throughout his whole career as a Charger, but I think he's important to this defense. I think we saw last year when Perryman was out, the run defense suffered. So I think he is important in that respect, and I know the coaching staff loves his attitude and his play, and uh, he's one of the faces of that defense, and he's one of the more motivational, outspoken players on that defense. So I think ultimately they do keep uh, Denzel Perryman. I will say that because of the injury, it kind of leaves the Chargers in the driver's seat a little bit when it comes to negotiations. So I think they could probably get Perryman on a pretty affordable deal. They won't have to throw a five, six-year deal at him because you know he hasn't proved to be healthy for a full season. And then also I think this offseason the Chargers address middle linebacker, whether it's through the draft or the offseason, much like how they did with Kaiser White in the draft, the eventual replacement for Jatavis Brown, and then you saw Chen Nwosu, the eventual replacement for Kyle Emanuel. I think they do that again this year in the offseason, whether it's through the draft or the offseason. They find a quality mic to help fill in for the eventual Perryman injury if it occurs again. Um, I think the Chargers find themselves in a position with Perryman where, like Garrett said, they are in the driver's seat. I think they will probably offer him a take-it-or-leave-a deal, probably something of the one- or two-year variety for very minimal guarantee with a lot of incentives based on playing time, production, things of that nature to incentivize him to stay healthy and stay on the field. Um, Perriman might be inclined to go out and look for a better fit schematic wise. Um, he might go out and look for a team that plays more base defense. Uh, the chargers have been playing more and more nickel and dime as this season has moved on. And as they've done that, we've seen more of Adrian Phillips and Jatavis Brown at times on the field in nickel and dime in particular. I know the Chargers like Perriman. I know they think, like Garrett mentioned, he's a leader. He's He was playing pretty well this year before he got hurt. Uh, I don't think he is the star linebacker that some people think he is or want him to be, but he is a productive player and he is a leader and he's kind of a physical presence in the middle of that defense. So I think they would like to re-sign him. I could see a scenario where he maybe feels slighted or maybe feels like there's a better fit somewhere else and sign elsewhere. Um, and I'm not sure they address middle linebacker in the draft. They may feel like they already have his replacement on the roster. I think they've gotten some really good play out of Jatavis Brown the last two or three weeks. They're getting outstanding play out of Adrian Phillips. Uh, Kaiser White will be back next year. Um, and you can also, in certain situations, you can even fit Derwin in there at middle linebacker or at will and move guys around. They have three or four interchangeable pieces, all of whom are playing well right now. And they're all, all their reads are better, getting better. They're all tackling well. They're all filling gaps well. Uh, they may feel like they're in a situation where they can rotate guys, find fits based on down and distance. And they may not necessarily need the proto, the stereotypical, you know, big hoss middle linebacker in the middle of that defense so much as they need some, somebody who can range back and cover flow sideline to sideline and make plays like, like, uh, Craig mentioned. So. I think they'd probably like to keep him. I think they'll try to keep him. I'm not entirely sure it happens, and I'm not sure they'll draft somebody at a year after taking two middle two linebackers. Uh, I could see White play middle linebacker. Um, I could see them thinking Brown can play middle linebacker in the scheme since it's what he played in college. So 
I think they have options where they don't necessarily have to go out and draft somebody or sign somebody. All right, well, let's nail you down here. Was that Denzel Perryman's last game as a Charger, or do they re-sign him this offseason, yes or no? I'm inclined to say after being hurt pretty much every year he's been here, it probably winds up being his last year. Okay. All right, so Denzel Perryman gets injured, and now the question is what happens? Where do they go from here? I think the easy answer is they've got Hayes Pillard. When Denzel Perryman went down, Hayes Pillard took over, and the run defense did not suffer. In fact, Hayes Pillard looked as good as he did in the preseason, and we even questioned on this podcast why he got cut. So uh, Hayes Pillard, I thought, did well in Denzel Perryman's role, and I think that'll be the easy uh, plug-and-play guy. I think they'll probably bring in another linebacker for depth, but go, you know, going forward, I think for me, I think with the next two weeks – you have a chance to figure out some kind of defensive combination that works best without Perryman. Now, they play the Broncos and then the Cardinals, and those are you know two teams that are trending in the wrong direction, two pretty cupcake games, maybe the Broncos you know, being division rivals, not so much, but um, not great teams, and it's the perfect time where they can come off with some kind of defensive concoction and be ready to roll when they go to Pittsburgh December 2nd. I really want to see, and you mentioned it, and I think we've mentioned it once Derwin was drafted, but I'd love to see him play some linebacker spot like he did in Florida State. Just let him roam around the line of scrimmage like he did on Sunday. Um, take away the underneath stuff. Let him run downhill in the run game, which he was fantastic at in Oakland on Sunday. Let Jalil die play strong safety. And then you've got probably Rayshon Jenkins at free, maybe Adrian Phillips if you want to. But going forward, you're, you're probably going to see Hayes Pollard in that middle linebacker spot. But, man, love to see more Derwin there. Yeah, I, I think you'll see a rotation. I think in base defense, you'll see a lot of Pollard. I think in nickel and dime packages, you'll see some mix of Derwin, Jatavis Brown, and Adrian Phillips. They've had Phillips playing some middle linebacker and some nickel sets this year. Um, I think it just means, ultimately, I think it just means more Derwin, or more uh, Jatavis Brown and more Adrian Phillips um, with... Pollard sprinkled in there on in base defense. No, I think you're right. And I was just going to say, I don't think that's such a bad thing with the way Phillips and Brown have been playing lately. No, I don't think it's a bad thing at all. I think uh, both those guys are covering a ton of ground. I mentioned earlier, they're both filling their their run fits very well. They're, they're reading, taking better angles to the ball. They're finishing tackles when they get there. Uh, I think in a lot of cases, watching tape sometimes – and this is a little bit of an exaggeration, but I think it speaks to how well he's playing. I think sometimes it's hard to tell the difference between how Adrian Phillips is moving on the field and how Derwin moves on the field, just in the terms of the angles they take and how quickly they're pouncing on the run and, and making run stops in the backfield. Both those guys in particular are playing very well, and I thought the last two weeks, Jatavis Brown has taken a couple of huge steps forward in his play as well. His confidence looks like it's sky high, and he's coming downhill and making some big tackles too, so... I think getting those guys on the field benefits them. I think this is a good time to mix them in even more. Uh, you want to get them in now, get them as many snaps as possible, get them fully up to speed and ready to go so that they are ready to be playing at their best when you get to that, the, the last, the stretch of the last three or four games of the season when, you know, you've got Cincinnati, you've got Pittsburgh, you've got Baltimore, um, Kansas City you know, and Kansas City. You want those guys playing at their best both against the run and the pass. So I, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I know you, you miss kind of your 
prototypical physical middle linebacker, but those, you know, Phillips, Brown, and and James are all playing so well at such a high level that I think it's kind of glossed over the fact that Perriman's kind of been he's been good, but he's closer to being a guy than he is to being a star linebacker, particularly in this in this scheme. It was kind of like the sky is falling today when it was Perryman out for the year. The people were talking about how bad his defense was going to be now and how they're going to get gashed in the run game. And I just, I don't think it's that big of a loss. I mean, Perryman is a good player, but I don't think with the way that Brown have been playing at Phillips and you talked about, you know, the guys you've mentioned, I, you know, even with Pollard, I thought he played well on Sunday. So, you know, it's a loss for sure. You lose Perryman, but. They still have guys there, and even without Kaiser White, they still have guys there that can fill that role, and I don't think this defense loses that much losing Perryman this season. And honestly, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, the run defense has been better this year, but I don't think it's been as dramatically better as some people would like to make it seem like it has been. We're still seeing linebackers at times uh, you know, stick to second-level blockers. At times, there are guys that are missing run fits. Uh, the the interior defensive line still struggles at times and gets pushed around. I mean, the Raiders averaged five yards a carry, excluding the um, the punt return, the the fake, the fake punt. punt. Yeah, the fake punt on Sunday. So it's not like the Chargers were shutting down the running game on Sunday, and that's been pretty consistent. You know, you're seeing backs average four and a half, five yards a carry against the Chargers, but all of a sudden they look up, they're down two scores in the fourth quarter, and they can't run the ball anymore. So that so the Chargers are eliminating opportunities to run the game by by to run the ball by shortening the game and having you know with their quick scores they're they're up in the fourth quarter and teams have to start throwing the ball and they can't be patient with the running game anymore so i don't think the chargers are stopping the run so much as the opposing team is possessing the ball the opposing team is shortening the game the chargers are scoring quickly and all of a sudden it's like oh my god we have to score points so I don't. I don't think the run defense has been that much better. That that missing Perriman is going to cripple this defense. I really don't. All right. Well, let's go ahead and move on to our three storylines, and uh, I'll go ahead and let you start it. So my first storyline is kind of it's kind of a summary of what we've seen over the last five or six games with the Chargers. Uh, it's kind of an overarching storyline, and I think you know watching this team play, it seems to me that. This team is adopting the best of Anthony Lynn's personality and character, his, his, his best traits, the traits that got him hired, the traits that made him, that helped him put together a nine year career in the NFL as a backup running back and a special teams ace, and the, the traits that helped him stick through what a 17 year career as an assistant coach before he got his first crack at, as a, as a head coach. And those traits, in my opinion, are grit, toughness, and resilience. This is a team that has had some major injuries. You know, we've talked about Bosa all season. Now we're dealing with the injury to uh, Denzel Perriman. They've had a myriad of issues on special teams. They've left 18 points on the board with kicks, excluding, you know, missed two-point tries after missed kicks on previous drives. Um, They've had their backs literally to the goal line at the end of games in a couple of games. Uh, They've... They've struggled with converting third downs. They've struggled getting teams off the field on third down at times. And yet they always seem to come up with the play they need to win the game. They always seem to put the game away. And I think that's a testament to Anthony Lynn, to be honest with you, because we didn't see that with previous regimes. We didn't see that under Norv. We certainly didn't see that under Mike McCoy, guys who were a little scattered, guys who were 
not as rooted, not as strong physically or mentally, and the Chargers would buckle under the pressure of mistakes. And now they make a mistake, they put it behind them, they go out and they make the play they need to win the game. And I think that is, those are signs of this team accepting Anthony Lynn's mentality and his approach to the game and taking on really his best traits. And it's kind of a, sh- a sign of the maturity of this team and how they're handling some of those, those, some of that adversity and coming back and finishing games. Yeah, you know, I was going to touch on um, a certain area of the team, uh, which was the defense, but uh, you bring up a good point. In watching that game, it's impressive that, you know, the run that they've gone through without Hunter Henry, without Joey Bosa, running off six games straight, uh, traveling more than any team in the league, uh, having four road games, last four games. They traveled Um, 6,000 miles in five days between Cleveland and London. Yeah, and, you know... um, I'm not saying uh, he should win the award, but is it a little premature to say that maybe Anthony Lynn deserves to be in the conversation for coach of the year? I don't think it's premature, to be honest with you. I don't think so either. I think he's completely transformed the culture of this team. And culture is a word that we kind of throw around, you know, haphazardly. It's kind of become cliche. We use it to describe so many things that happen in a locker room, but... You know, for years, this team would make a mistake in the fourth quarter and their eyes would get as big as saucers and they'd fold like a cheap suit and they'd blow a 14 fourth quarter lead. It's been their MO for, God, basically since Marty left. And even in the last game he coached, they blew a huge fourth quarter lead in the playoffs. And it was a reflection of how he handled the pressure of playoff games. And now we're seeing this team take on the best of their head coach, assume the best of their head coach and finish games. And I think it's a testament to him. I think it's obvious that he's changed the culture in that locker room. The guys are responding to him. And I think it should go. I think it needs to be said that, you know, they hired a guy. I mentioned it earlier. He had a nine year career in the NFL. He was never a starter. Uh, He was a backup running back. He went undrafted. He had to fight for his roster spot. Basically every year he was in the league, transformed himself into a special teams ace, um, scratched and clawed and fought for every snap he played and made the most of every snap he played. And I think that gives him the ability to do something that, you know, Norv Turner and Mike McCoy really couldn't do. He can stare these guys in the eye and say, hey, I've been there. He can go to an Adrian Phillips or a Rayshon Jenkins or an Austin Eckler or any number of guys who are contributing on special teams right now or guys who are considered, you know, quote unquote depth and say, I've been where you are. And I can tell you, you're going to get out of this, whatever you put into it. And if you put your best into it, eventually you're going to get a bigger role on this team. And they can look at him and know that that's true. And that's a way that previous coaches could not relate to their players with the Chargers. And I think that's a huge element of how he's changed the culture and how this team is responding to adversity this year and finding ways to put games away. Yeah, when you put it that way, it is interesting because when you think about when they had Shoddy, it was he was this offensive genius. And Mike McCoy was that QB whisperer that turned Tebow into a starting caliber NFL quarterback and <laughs> and ran a whole offense around him and took him to the playoffs. And it was like, you know, they, these guys were kind of put up on pedestals. But then, you know, even when they were hired, when they hired Anthony Lynn, it was like, yeah, but he never even coached anywhere. You know, he wasn't even a coordinator until, you know, it blew up there in Buffalo. So, you know, it it was it's interesting that yeah, that he can um that he can come in and kind of show the the grit and uh the hard work and yeah, I guess they have kind of adapted that attitude. So, uh the thing that I was going to talk about is um was the defense because 
you know, watching this game, it seems like the defense is starting to find their groove a little bit, and especially at the right time. You know, last week against the Seahawks, they held them on third down 4 of 15 two weeks ago. Then this week uh, against the Raiders, it was 5 of 15 on third downs on Sunday. And the Raiders' longest play, and you mentioned it, was that fake punt by Johnny Townsend, who took it for 42 yards. The next best was the Jared Cook catch, which was 31 yards up the seam. You know, and it just seems like every week, and we talk about, like, every week somebody else is stepping up. But on this defense, all these players are coming up in big spots. We saw Adrian Phillips tip that ball away in London. We saw Des King get that pick six in Seattle. Basically put the game away, but for good measure, Jaleel Odai gets the tip to seal the win in the end zone. We saw Derwin James on Sunday make a fantastic play on a fourth down on that sweep to Martavis Bryant on the goal line to get the turnover on downs. Melvin Ingram get a strip sack fumble, and the Chargers kept the Raiders out of the end zone on Sunday. In fact, the Chargers are now ranked fifth in the league in opponent red zone scoring percentage at 46.6%. Over the last three games, they're at 36.6%, which is third best in the NFL in that span. So it's really coming from all angles. There's so many different players showing up, and we say it every week, but it seems like this defense is constantly bailing this team out when they sleepwalk through a quarter or this game almost a full half. And, you know, it just it's coming from so many different areas, and it's not just the stars of that defense. It's coming, you know, when have we talked about how good Casey Hayward has been? We haven't. You know, we haven't talked about how great Melvin Ingram's been, though he has done the dirty work, and I think he's been really good and kind of gone under the radar. But, you know, it's coming from guys like Adrian Phillips, Des King. You know, you're seeing Derwin James, Jalil Dye making some plays, Isaac Rochelle showing up. We saw Achena Nwosu get some big plays on Sunday. It's coming from everywhere, and help is on the way, and Joey Bosa could be here as soon as this weekend, Anthony Lynn said, but he wouldn't obviously land on that, whether he is or isn't playing, but it's coming at the right time when they roll into that hard part of the schedule like we talked about earlier, and hopefully take that going into the playoffs, if they make it. Yeah, I was going to mention defense. That was my third storyline. But you look at what they did on Sunday, and they had three players with 11 tackles, four sacks, six quarterback hits. And if you take out that fake punt in the first quarter, they held the Raiders to 275 total yards of offense. They basically, and I, I think, you know, watching that game back last night and, um, and studying, you know, really breaking down the film, the all 22 today, to me, it really seemed like, Gruden did the Chargers a favor calling that fake punt because they were asleep on defense in the first quarter. The Raiders are going right down the field. Granted, they got the third down stop, but they got kind of lucky because Cook dropped a pass, bailed them out. And they call that punt, and it's like everybody snaps out of it. Almost instantly, the entire defense wakes up. And now now Derwin was already flowing to the ball, but you had Derwin make a couple stops on that on that drive, including the fourth down stop that you mentioned Jatavis had a couple big tackles on that drive. Like you said, everybody's making a play. Everybody's coming up and contributing. And from that point on, once they got that fourth down stop, their juices were flowing. They were locked into that game. And that defense took that game over. Uh, I think they gave up like 130 yards in the second half of total offense. Uh, they just... They just didn't let the Raiders move the ball after that. It was like that fake punt woke them up and, frankly, pissed them off. And they controlled the line of scrimmage after that. They got after Carr. They had in, they had interior pressure. They were getting pressure off the edge consistently. 
Gus called a great game. He was mixing up blitzes. He was calling stunts and twists. Um, had a plan for Chenna Nwosu for the first time all season, which was really nice. Uh, they just – everybody pitched in, and they made the plays when they needed to make them. And from the time they scored that touchdown right before halftime, that game was over. Even at 10-3, that game was over. Uh, the Raiders were done. And scoring that touchdown right after the half just iced it. But the Raiders were the Raiders were done, and the Chargers were going to win that game if even if nobody else scored any more points. You know, obviously, if the Chargers hadn't scored any more points, they were going to win that game. Yeah. So, um, they that defense was they they get better every week. They're getting better on third down every week. The pressure packages are getting better. It seems like every week. Uh, and you know. Nobody's mentioning it. I mentioned it in an article on Bolts from the Blue, but to me, I think one of the key moments in this in this de- for this defense this year was getting more snaps for Adrian Phillips because they were really struggling on third down before they started getting him more snaps. They put him in the game against the Raiders in week five, and from that moment on, their third down performance is getting better and better and better and better on defense. They're not seeing as many gashing plays in the middle of the defense passing-wise. Tackling has been better in the middle of the defense. That entire defense has been better with Adrian Phillips on the field. And big credit to, for, to Gus for getting him on the field and finding a bigger role for him. Uh, granted, it was out of necessity, but still, they haven't dialed that back as they've gotten guys back, and he just keeps getting better as the season goes on. Yeah, yeah. And to get Derwin James near the line of scrimmage this week, God, did that pay off. He was fantastic. I tell you what, the – just watching the plays he made against the run alone, I mean, chasing plays down from behind. Uh, his reads were basically perfect pretty much all day long. That pass rush attempt where they blitzed him through the A-gap and he ran over and killed Jalen Richard was yeah. crazy. Yeah, uh, He had a couple really good pass rush reps against um, Colton Miller as well. Uh, I mean, he's just – he's phenomenal. And yeah. you you mentioned Melvin Ingram. People have been lamenting the fact that he hasn't been getting a ton of sacks, but who turned the game around with his sack fumble in the second quarter? Yep. That that was Mel or first quarter, I guess it was. That was Melvin Ingram. And he had a sack and a half in that game. He had, I think no, he had a, a sack and one and a half tackles for loss. He had a tackle for loss on the first play against a running play. He set a mean edge all day long, again doing the dirty work against the run and helping to, to pin the runner the running game down a little bit. He has been – he's taken his game to another level when he's not asked to pass rush. His work against the run has been really good all year long, and it's something that has really gone unnoticed for a, to a large degree among Charger fans. He's, he's yeah. played very well. Mm-hmm. And I think Derwin James deserves the assist on that Isaac Rochelle sack when he ran over Jalen Richard. It was like Derek Carr was shell-shocked and froze. Oh, and yeah. He stood there. He, was he like, made that happen. Shit. And then Isaac Rochelle just wrapped him up and brought him down. It was he insane. made that happen. He, yeah. he flinched watching Richard get run over, <laughs> and, and 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 Rochelle cleaned it up. Yep. So okay. So you, you touched on the defense too. Uh, one thing I'll, I'll touch on today is Melvin Gordon, uh, and and I'm sure that's one you were going to talk about too. Yeah, that was my next one <laughs> because. I mean, he played like the college version of Melvin Gordon yesterday. His 66-yard touchdown pass was vintage Gordon, uh, Wisconsin Melvin Gordon. Raiders brought the house. They blitzed seven guys. Melvin caught it, turned on the afterburners. That, I mean, that's he exhibited some long speed. We just haven't really seen 
at all from him. And you know, obviously a key block by Keenan Allen to come back and take out a few Raiders defenders so Gordon can get some separation on that play. But every week Gordon scores and it gets less and less talked about because it just becomes so common. But on Sunday, Gordon became the second player since 2007 to post a streak of five games with 120 total yards and a touchdown. He's been impressive. And he made an unbelievable effort on that first down, on that fourth down toss play. First off, hate the play call, uh, change it. Don't toss. The <laughs> <laughs> fastest point is from point A to point B is a straight line. Maybe a Making QB him run sneak. Sideline uh, to sideline. Yeah. At least run it behind Pouncey. Just straight downhill. No need to have him run all the way to the opposite sideline, but he had to fight off four defenders, make two guys miss just to get two yards. All that came on second effort. It was unbelievable. Play call was terrible by Wiz there. Also, that picket defense from Gus Bradley. Worst play call in the NFL. Get rid of it. And also, uh, Melvin Gordon, man, that uh, we were talking about how Jalen Richard did not pick up that blitz on Derwin James. Melvin Gordon, perfect timing on a linebacker blitz. It was a drive right before the half. He saved Markel Lee from having a free shot at Rivers. Gordon helped extend that drive that ultimately ended in a touchdown. We're seeing the confidence from Gordon, what he's playing with right now. We're not seeing him stop his feet like we saw in his rookie year. We're not seeing he's hitting the hole. He's actually hitting a hole with a purpose. He's making guys miss in the open field, which we didn't see the first two years. He is putting it together. He's had an exceptional season this year, and he's starting to look like the player he was in college this year. Yeah, and he's not running to contact 10 yards downfield anymore. Mm-hmm. He's looking yeah. to make a cut and get extra yards. Yeah, uh, he's He seems to be correcting all of the shortcomings that he was showing in his first three or four years in the league. Yep. Or I guess three years in the league. So he's been playing very well. That was going to be – I mean, you stole another point from me. Yeah, let's um, talk about it. Just to rehash, 23 touches, 165 yards and a touchdown, four touches for 10 or more yards, two touches for 15 or more yards. He fueled both scoring drives at a time when Rivers looked pretty out of sorts early in the game and really looked out of sorts for most of the game in my opinion. Um, Melvin kind of settled things down helped move the ball in chunks and got the passing game going because he was running the ball so well at times and making plays. And he, you know, we've been saying it for a couple of years now, he's the catalyst for this offense. When he is going well, everything else builds off of that. And t- Sunday was an example of that again. He was, he was incredible, played very well, and he just keeps getting better. And by the way, I picked him to be MVP of the league um, when we did our little pre- preseason uh-huh. predictions for bolts from the blue yep. just figured if they were going to win it was going to be because of him so he's having a great year he's making me look smart and dumb at the same time ironically because of how much shit we talked about him early in his career but i'll take it I, I, i'm glad to be wrong so he looks great um so since you took two of my three points i'm gonna oh, mix in <laughs> i'm gonna mix in a different one here um just some things that I noticed that I think are worth monitoring and need some attention. Um, obviously, the Chargers' third down offense is garbage. They were 2 of 10 against the Raiders, which is a pretty bad defense. Yeah, Th- This is a team that has to figure out how to convert on third down if they're going to beat Steel- the Steelers and the Bengals and the Ravens and the Chiefs especially. You cannot, cannot rely on big plays 
against elite teams. You have to be able to put drives together, stay on the field, keep your quarterback off the field, and keep their quarterback, uh, keep your quarterback on the field, and keep their quarterback off ah, the field. Yep. So you have to be able to do that. They're not doing it. They've been living and dying by the big play, and it's worked so far. But it's something that they're going to have to be more consistent and more efficient on offense in terms of putting drives together and converting those third downs. And I think because they're relying so much on the big play, I think we're starting to see at least some early signs of Phillip Rivers trying to do a little bit too much at times. He had, I thought, four really bad decisions in that game. One of them wound up an interception to Marcus Gilchrist. And I said it during the game, if you're throwing a pick to Marcus Gilchrist, you're making a bad decision. So (laughs) you can't be throwing picks to him. Um, he had another pick that probably should have been a pick six on the first drive of the game in the, in the shadow of their own end zone. He forced a deep ball into the wind across his body on a play where he rolled out of the pocket on the first down on the second drive of the game. Um, tried to throw it down to Tyrell Williams, I believe, into the wind, and it came up short, thankfully. That was a bad decision. Also forced one to Gates between three defenders in the red zone. Another bad decision. I thought he was pretty fortunate to come out of that game with only one interception. Um, So I'd like to see him be a little bit smarter with the football, not be putting balls at risk. He was so good at not going outside of the offense and not trying to do too much early in the season. And since they've come out of the bye, it seems like he's trying to take one extra shot. It's like they dial up a big play, and he feels like he has to make it happen. And he's missing guys underneath for chunk plays, catch and run opportunities. So – I'd like to see them clean that up a little bit. Um, and also special teams penalties. They had four last week. They had two more on re- relatively solid returns this week. Uh, they cannot be making special teams penalties against the Steelers and the Ravens and the Chiefs especially. They have to play a clean game. They have not been particularly disciplined. And speaking of discipline, Russell Okung, you're one of the team leaders uh, you need to keep your fists at your side. You can't be letting the Raiders get in your head. You can't be taking shots at guys on the field and getting yourself thrown out of games. That's just not smart. It can't happen. So they need to be a little bit more disciplined. Rivers needs to be smarter with the football, and they've got to convert on third down. They have to – like this is a stretch of games here with the um, the Broncos and the, the Cardinals coming up where they have to figure out a way to convert more on third down. If they're not converting – 40 to 45% of their third downs coming out of these next two games, they're going to be in trouble down the stretch. So they, they have to figure that out. Yeah, these next two games are almost like tune up games when you go down the stretch and you got to see Pittsburgh December 2nd. So, yeah, yeah, they got some things to figure out on defense. Third down has been an issue, but it's been kind of swept under the rug because of the big plays. They've just, yeah. you know, they've converted on those big plays and put up points. But nobody's talking about all those three and outs they've had. And, you know, we've talked about how they've kind of fell asleep during parts of these games. And a lot of that is because they just can't convert on third down and they can't get the offense rolling. So that uh, that's definitely something to watch going forward. Absolutely. Oh, um, and by the way, one more thing. Yeah. Things, things to scrap. No more gates in the red zone. <laughs> yeah, no man. more gates in the red zone. Stop, Stop it. Stop calling plays where he's the primary read. Phillip, stop forcing it to him in the red zone. Just stop. There are yeah. so many better options, so many better things to do. And on that particular play, the, the ball that Phillip forced to him in the red zone, they had five guys running routes. Only two of them were past the sticks for a first down and or in the end zone. So they, I, I don't know what they're calling there, but nobody's biting on 
Gates isn't getting open anymore. Just yeah. stop forcing him the ball. Right, right. Yeah, that, that red zone Gates play is not good. There are so many better options, and the Gates or bus play gets even worse when you don't have anybody trying to get open, at least. That's uh, that's a terrible play call. Yeah, so there's a lot of stuff to get rid of. Um, also, man, how about, how about these jet sweeps to Travis Benjamin? Can we just trash those now? Yeah, I'm done with those, Enough and I'm done already. with jet sweeps to Mike Williams, too. Mike's broke one or two, but, I mean, Travis Benjamin, for God's sakes, man. And, and I get the w- they had – yeah, they had to stick him back. You're probably going to talk about yep. his returner duty. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> you had to stick him back there because, you know, you wanted to save Des King and you were thin on cornerbacks because Trevor Williams was out in that depth. I, I understand to a degree, but come on. He is terrible. Look, you didn't have to put him back there. I, I can get with protecting King and not throwing him back there because you're short on corners. I get that. But you didn't have to throw Trevor back – or. Uh, Travis, Travis back there. You could have put Eckler back there. Put yeah. Eckler back. You're not going to give him the ball on the offense anyway. So let him back there. Get him back there to return a kick. I mean, three touches in the fourth quarter, really? For your, what, <laughs> probably third or fourth best weapon in the offense? That's that's pretty bad game planning in my opinion. Hey, well, so. since this was the Derek Watt game, why don't you throw him back there? You want to give him so many <laughs> damn carries that game? Why don't you have him return punts? Jesus Christ. <laughs> Come on, man. I mean, I get it. He's he's been good. I mean, he's been really good as a lead blocker at times, and he's sprung Gordon a lot this season, and he's putting together his best year, but you don't have to give him that many carries, man. And you know what's weird is they were raving about how good he was as a pass catcher in the preseason, that he was going to be a bigger part of the offense. Has he even caught a pass this year? Uh, He's caught one that I can remember off the top of my head. Only one that I can remember. Maybe they're maybe they're saving that gem for Pittsburgh. God help oh. us. <laughs> um, I'll just say, you know, I know there were a lot of people who were upset about the lack of offensive output in this game, and they felt like the Chargers sleptwalked through the game, and they weren't ready to play, and it was boring. And look, I'll take boring every day of the week because boring means that game's over at halftime, and we know the Raiders aren't coming back, and there's just nothing to sweat over, and I'll take that. Um, and I think anytime you get through a division game and you don't have to go too deep into your playbook and you don't have to extend yourself too much and you can just kind of go through the motions and be vanilla and win the game by two scores, that's a win, man. You've got to take that because you don't get those opportunities very often. No, 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 absolutely not. Yeah, man, they, they coasted through that game and... You know, even when they were down three, it didn't seem like they were ever down at all. They, I mean, even on, it felt like even on the Chargers' worst day this season, they were not losing to the Raiders on Sunday. No, no. I and mean, that game was never in doubt. You, you yeah. always knew they were going to hit a big play and put seven on the board. And as soon as they scored a touchdown, that game was pretty much over. So Yeah, and it is the, unfamiliar territory. Still not used to it. But during the game, I took a, bit, a little bit longer to grab some beers at halftime. Because I wasn't that worried about getting back to catch the game because I knew they would win that game. I knew it was already over. It is a weird world. It's bizarre world. We live in the twilight zone. (laughs) Hopefully it becomes a new norm. Yeah, definitely. It has been for six weeks. So the last point that I want to get to is, uh, I guess, a little shout out. But, man, Isaac Rochelle, they talked about, you know, this offseason that, you know, they let Chris McCain go because Chris Landrum was going to be that guy. They let that five sacks go out the door. Chris Landrum was your new third best pass rusher behind Bosa and Ingram. 
But what we've seen so far this season, Isaac Rochelle has proved to be the best pass rusher that isn't named Melvin Ingram. On Sunday, he had two tackles, both of them sacks. He had a sack and a half against the Raiders. There was one sack where Ingram and Rochelle met at the same time on Derek Carr. And so far in nine games, Isaac Rochelle has four and a half sacks, a pass deflection, an interception. He's second on the team in sacks. He's only one sack behind Melvin Ingram for the team lead. And Joey Bosa's prolonged injuries really benefited Rochelle, not only in playing time but in confidence and progression. Playing Rochelle at that end spot and not that defensive tackle spot he did in college and slimming down this offseason has really done wonders for his play in this second year so far. And he's kind of going under the radar a little bit, but he's consistently doing his job as the starting end in place of Bosa. And he's been a big part of the team's success when they have stopped the run and when they needed that those guys up front to make plays. Isaac Rochelle's been in the mix. So uh, a guy that hasn't really been mentioned on the show, but uh, has played great so far. And man, uh, you know, getting four and a half sacks out of your seventh round pick is a big deal. And the progression should not go unnoticed from Isaac Rochelle this year. Yeah. He he he's played very well. He keeps seems like he's getting better with every game. I mean, you you talk about what the coaches have done with Jatavis Brown, what they've done with Adrian Phillips, what they've done with Isaac Rochelle, uh, Damian Square. Now we're starting to see more of a plan and some development in um, Yotena Nwosu. You know, they ran some twists for him to get him free looks at Derek Carr on Sunday. He showed a little bit of a spin move, showed a little bit of an inside counter, got some pretty consistent pressure on third down. They're starting to do a very good job of developing the guys at the back of the roster. Those guys are contributing on special teams. They're now contributing on defense, and they have improved depth, and they can weather the storm of a couple of injuries on the front if they need it or at linebacker if they need it. So kudos to the coaching staff and kudos to those guys at the back of the depth chart for working their way up and continuing to grind and get better. Yeah, absolutely. All right, guys, that's going to do it for us. I am at Garrett Sisti on Twitter. Jamie? At Lightning underscore Round. And we will see you next time. Thanks, everybody. Hey, everybody, it's Neil Patel, editor-in-chief of The Verge. I host a podcast every week called The Verge Cast with my friends Paul Miller and Dieter Bone. We've got a rotating cast of characters from our entire site, which is about technology, how it impacts culture, and how that is all a big cycle that causes us to have a wide variety of feelings that you can listen to every Friday. We've done over 300 episodes in the six years since The Verge has been around, but you only need to listen to one, the latest one, to get caught up on everything in tech news. Vergecast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else. Also, you listen to podcasts, check it out.